Welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. This podcast is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com and hosted by J. Barry Watts. As an advanced tax strategist and enrolled agent federally licensed by the IRS, Barry is uniquely qualified to go deeper into the Internal Revenue Code than most accountants. He understands and interprets its provisions explaining how they'll help you reduce income taxes you owe so you can direct that previously wasted tax money into tax-free accounts that you can enjoy in your retirement years. Now, on today's episode. Have you ever wondered about trusts? and whether you and your family need one. On today's edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, host J. Barry Watts, a tax strategist and retirement designer, is going to unpack what he has learned in 27 years of helping clients with trusts and estate planning. He'll answer questions you didn't even know you had and simplify trusts so you'll have a good idea of whether it is something useful for your family. Well, welcome to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement, where we try to answer the dump truck load of questions that many people have about how to reduce income taxes and how to manage investments and how to pass assets from one generation to the next, including how to eliminate estate taxes and how to have more money to spend in retirement than you expect and more that you will leave when you eventually die so the next generation will have a good head start. My name is Barry Watts. I'm the host of the podcast, sitting alongside our producer, Patrice Sikora, who's kind of a broadcasting legend in her own right. Oh, pshaw, Barry. Pshaw. Well, that's what I've heard, at least. Just the rumor about you, Patrice. (laughs) So today, we're going to talk about understanding trusts, that they aren't just for estate planning only, and that if you use them properly, legacy trusts can actually strengthen your family ties. All right, we'll keep that that uh, rumor going, okay? But Peshaw, anyway. But when trusts here, okay, the first thing I think of when I hear the word trust when it comes to estate planning is lots of money. Lots of money. You need money to set up a trust. Well, that can be true. Uh, having a lot of money certainly would be an indicator that would point you toward trusts. But one of the things that we're going to talk about in today's podcast is about how there really isn't a dollar amount that's attached to uh, whether or not you should have a trust. There's a whole nother set of issues that Hmm. are involved. And I'm not here, Patrice, to say you should have a trust or you shouldn't have a trust. In fact, I think that's one of the fundamental problems in the estate planning design is that, uh, you know, I heard a guy once say, if you go to a cabinet builder and show him your blank wall and ask him what he thinks you should do with it, he's going to tell you you should build cabinets. Makes sense. And I know if, well, it sure (laughs) does. And I had a call just yesterday from a client in Joplin, Missouri, of all places, who's, uh, it's always my brother-in-law says that his sister's (laughs) uncle's cousin told him, you know, these are the kind of calls I get sometimes. But this lady in Joplin, Missouri says, hey, my brother just moved back to Missouri from Texas. And um, his attorney is telling him his Texas trust isn't any good. And his, uh, so he needs a brand new trust and he shouldn't. In this case, the attorney said, you shouldn't pass your assets using transfer on death or using the beneficiaries on your uh, IRA accounts, you should just put everything into the trust. And of course, I don't know if that's what the attorney said or not. If it's really Mm -hmm. what they said, I can just tell you they're wrong and I'm not an attorney. We'll get there in a minute. But I can tell you that there's a protocol in a way we think about these things. And if the information that came to me on the phone call was correct, well, then it's it's all wrong. Um, But that's the whole point is this is such a confusing topic. So what I'm trying to do is just cast light with as little shadow as possible 
to help people understand how trusts work and whether or not trusts are appropriate for them and for their family. Now, I mentioned to you that I didn't go to law school. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not Mm -hmm. practicing law. I'm a layman speaking to layman. But I've got 27 years worth of digging through these things, so I do understand how they work. And I would tell you that from a legal perspective, you should always, always consult your attorney to be sure the information you're getting is the information that helps you the most. Now, Patrice, here's what I'm going to do today is I'm going to approach this in a way that first gives you a broad background and understanding about trusts and how they work. And then we're going to work through some questions that I often hear from people who are considering trust as the solution to whatever they're dealing with. So let's start with the question, what is a trust? Sounds like a great place to start because it's, as you say, there are so many confusing stories around them. Well, yes. And some people, I I actually think some people think they need a trust because it makes them feel. um, Oh, important. Yeah, kind of. It's like, oh, I I qualify for a trust. (laughs) And then I think there are people who, who want a trust because they feel like, well, if I have a trust, I've done what I was supposed to do. And neither of those is true, by the way, just because you have a trust on your shelf. If you haven't funded your trust, it doesn't even work for you. And secondly, you might not have needed to trust in the first place. So let's deal with this concept. What is a trust? A trust is a simple way or simply a way to give property to someone, either a person or an organization, but continue to get benefits from that property yourself and maintain control and influence over that property until such time as you die. And then in some cases, depending on how the trust is written, you can still maintain control or influence over that property after you have died. So think about it this way. A trust is a box that you can put an asset into. And you could put an apartment complex into the box or a farm into the box or an oil well into the box or a brokerage account or a business or a checking account. The list is endless. You can put all these things into the box, either one thing in the box, or you could put all of them into the same box. And when you put that item or items into the box, then you name someone to manage the box. And that person Mm -hmm. is called the trustee. And then you write down a set of instructions about why you created the box and what you wanted to accomplish with the box and how you want the property in the box to be managed and who you want to benefit from the property in the box and so forth. And you can be as specific or as generic as you want to be. So you don't have to be dead to have a trust in effect? Oh, heavens no. Uh, We don't have any clients save one who's dead that has a trust in effect. And I don't guess they're really a client anymore since they're dead. (laughs) No, we've got a lot of people who have trust. I have a trust and I'm, I'm very much alive. And so, no, you don't have to be dead to have a trust, but a trust does help prepare for the day when you will be dead. And that is one of the tools that we use to deal with estate planning and death and even controlling and directing your assets after you have died. But what, what about a will? Well, a will can do that as well. However, a will has to go through probate, and probate is a public process, and trusts are private. Probate is public. Probate costs money to go through the probate process. Probate takes about 18 months to go through the process. The assets are tied up while they're in probate, and with a trust, none of these things are true. And so a trust can be a very effective, clean, slick, efficient way to transfer your wealth through the generations motorcycle said generations, mm-hmm. we're talking about not just your kids, but your grandkids and your grandkids' grandkids, through the generations and to do it in a way that protects your money so that it doesn't dissipate uh, if it's properly structured. So 
You know, most people, Patrice, can only remember about to the fourth generation. For example, you can remember back one generation, your parents. Mm -hmm. And you can probably remember two generations, your grandparents. Can do. It's probably 50-50 whether you can remember three generations back. That would be to your great-grandparents. I do remember, but uh, it it begins to get a little bit foggy because for the most part, they died when I was a child. Virtually no one can remember their great-great-grandparents. In fact, just uh, the past week, I asked my dad what my great-great-grandpa's name was. And I believe he told me, and I believe the name didn't register with me because I never met him. I never heard of him. I never saw him. I didn't have a clue about him. So, you know, people can only remember back about to the fourth generation at best. So you and I, Patrice, deep in the third quarter uh, of life, uh, we're only three or four generations from being totally forgotten. And for some people, that's okay. Thanks, Barry. Thanks. Yeah, just trying to help. (laughs) But what if you aren't forgotten? And what if the reason you're not forgotten is because you're the one who left the money that caused the rift in the family or that ruined an heir because they grew lazy and wanted to live off their inheritance and wouldn't work and became drug addicted? Maybe you will be remembered, but for all the wrong reasons. Hmm. Instead, why not be proactive? And develop a structure for your family that guarantees not only that you'll be remembered for generations to come, but that the family will have structure and influence for generations to come that will help them to stick together and be preserved and strengthened. A trust could be a tool to do that. You see, Hmm. you could institute a trust, Patrice, alongside a set of legacy letters, a family mission statement, a family founder's video. And in that video, you could sit down and you could explain what's important to you and what your values are and how you accumulated this money and worked your fingers to the bone and, you know, bled from your fingernails. I remember hearing the old timers talk about how when in the Depression, it was hard here in the Missouri Ozarks, they all went to California. And these farm boys from California went out there and they milked cows is what they, my guys did because they were all farm boys. And they'd talk about milking cows by hand until their fingernails fell off. Well, you know, I think that would be something to be worthy of being in the video. Of course, uh, that generation's gone and we didn't get them in video because video didn't exist. But just think but, you can make everybody sit down and watch your video every single year again and again and again. That's the whole point. They'll never forget you. Will you? They oh, may no. make fun of you, but they will okay. never forget you. You won't be there. And, and so I want you to imagine organizing your family with uh, the assets placed in a trust and uh, with a video that shares your mm-hmm. values and your history and how you accumulated the money and what you want the family to do with the money and, and what you want the family to represent, who you want them to be as people, and a set of legacy letters that similarly explain those things and a family mission statement maybe that you go over. And you could even say that this family is going to have an annual family meeting, uh, set it for once a year, twice a year, whatever. It could be the same time as the family reunion. You could even set hmm. the date and say, well, it's going to be the last weekend in May to coincide with the Memorial Day weekend. And that could be the meeting, uh, Patrice, where your vision and values would be recited to your family, where the family was involved in deciding how the family trust would make this year's charitable gift to what charity are we going to contribute it, and where the family loaned the next generation money to buy a house or start Hmm. a business. You could create a family legacy that is so much larger than you ever dreamed or imagined. And you could even say that in order to get the trust generation uh, that they everybody who is going to come and get the distribution, I should have said, from the trust, in order to get distribution from the trust, 
you have to come to the annual family reunion and legacy conference. I love I it. I, I really do. It. I love this idea. And I'm not trying to be difficult on the family. No. I'm trying. You know, one of the things that I respect, Patrice, is I've got around me some families that are very cohesive and they mm-hmm. stick together and they love one another and they they vacation together some and they uh, they have holidays together and they celebrate mama's birthday together and the families are stuck together. And then we got other families that are just scattered high yeah. West and crooked. My goodness, they're everywhere and you can't ever get any of them together. And everybody's got a reasonably good excuse for not being together. But mm-hmm. you know, the big reason they aren't together is because nobody ever put their foot down and said, our family's going to gather on this weekend of the year and everybody's going to be here. And if you expect to get your part of the distribution, from the you, trust, better be you have to attend this meeting. Quick question. I just like that. I, I'd love it. But a quick question, Barry. Suppose you had a trust, you had everybody coming together, and this lasted for a generation. Could the following generations change that value statement? Well, no, no, it's on. It's you. It was it was your video. They can't change the value statement. They don't have to adopt the value. Uh, they don't have to believe anything that you said. But the idea is <laughs> that grandma, these are the things that grandma believed. That is our heritage. That is our legacy. And it's been passed down. And so mom and dad believe the same thing. And now we, the grandkids, as we're growing up, get to choose. Are we going to believe the same thing? Because that's mm-hmm. what grandma believed. And if we deviate extremely from the things that grandma articulated, the trust may actually have language in it that uh, would essentially cut us out of the trust and not allow us to get our part of the distribution. So it's just a tool that helps you to keep a cohesive family. And while you and I love this idea and say, man, this could be really super cool. There are people who are listening to the podcast who'll say, well, that's all neat, but we just simply don't have that kind of money. Um, And it may be true. I I have have to admit, yeah. That, that does come to mind, yeah. But let's just think about what that kind of money is. Let's say that you left only a million dollars in a trust. And I don't know where the line is, but let's just pretend that you left a million dollars of trust. And let's mm-hmm. say that our trust earned 10% per year. And let's say that your instruction in the trust was that 50% of the earnings stayed in the trust to grow and 50% got paid out to all the beneficiaries. Well, your trust in that case would then double in 14 years and your million dollars would be worth $2 million. Still not a tremendous amount of money. But in 14 more years, it would be worth $4 million. And 14 years after that, it Hmm. would be worth $8 million. Now we're beginning to talk about some real money. So you see, it's possible for you to leave a real significant, impactful legacy. And 100 years from now, people you've never met, but who bear your name, who are your heirs, could be managing $100 million in your legacy trust Wow! and remembering your name and being influenced by your values and your legacy, all because you chose to plan today and built a structure to accomplish that. You know, I, I never considered that in my lifetime I could leave a chunk of money like that and a legacy. Okay, it's not Rockefeller, it's not Vanderbilt, but it's not it's not bad. And I would like to think that my kids and my grandkids would say, thanks, Grandma. Thank you. Well, you know, they won't all say that because somewhere you'll have a grandkid that'll go bad probably. Uh, I, I guess there's an odds that, that any of us will. But the point is, maybe there'll be a grandkid who teeters on the brink, but who, because for years growing up, he heard grandma on the screen speaking about these values. He heard the legacy letter written. He heard the family talk. He heard the one really solid uncle uh, reemphasizing how important these things were. Mm-hmm. 
maybe praying over the family. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It could be that that kid who was teetering doesn't comes go. back yeah. to the family and and doesn't go bad because of this legacy framework that is built. So I really, 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 really respect people who do that. And uh, quite frankly, I want to be a person who's done this. And I have done much of it, but I even realize as I uh, talk in this podcast, there are lots of things that I still haven't done. Are you going to do them? Well, yes, yes. In fact, I'm going to be meeting some of my kids this weekend. Um, my, uh, I say some of my kids, like I have a train car loaded. I've got, <laughs> you got you two. Know, I, I got two. That's exactly right. And I'm going to meet one of them this weekend. So, I, mean, I guess that's some of my kids, but she'll have the boyfriend there as well. And he's been around a while and I think he might be a stayer. I'm not sure. So, so the point is that I, I want to have a, begin the talk of having right. a, a conversation with them about, you know, what could this look like as we go forward? And, and, you know, as I think about my own situation, uh, well, I've got a trust and I've got a farm and I've got an offensively large house that was built back when we all built offensively hard, large mm-hmm. houses, which we don't do anymore. And I wouldn't do again, but you know, once you built it, you kind of got it there. And so it occurs to me that I could use my wealth to not only keep that as the place for the family to return to kind of the family oh, retreat yes. place. And that could be where the family meetings are held each year. Um, and so everything that I accumulate could be designed to keep the family together and keep the family talking. And a subsequently so, each year, this video screen would get bigger and bigger and bigger that they would play <laughs> your video on. And then they have to move it outside and then we have to build a <laughs> barn and show it on the side of the barn. I don't know where this goes. Okay. <laughs> so Patrice, let's just deal with this question right here. Why would we use a trust? And I've kind of already spilled mm-hmm. the beans and given you a pretty good idea about why we might use a trust. But I want to give you some actual some actual bullet pointed reasons where a trust might be effective. The first of those is asset protection. You see, the trust that you establish could protect your assets and your children from financial loss. For example, in the event of a nasty divorce by one of your kids or grandkids. If you structure it properly, your trust could protect your assets from a nursing home or even from a lawsuit. And, uh, you know, uh, liability attorneys are just looking for deep pockets. And if they think your pocket is deep, it doesn't have to be deep. If they just think your pocket is deep, well, that even more than your responsibility determines whether or not you get sued. Hmm. My co-host Eric has a story that he tells, and I I don't remember its details and can't tell it as well as he does. And unfortunately, he's not here today. But uh, he tells a story about uh, there was a little boy here in Springfield, Missouri, who was killed in the crosswalk at an elementary school. And the kid, it was supposed to have gone to school and he ran away from school or something and ran back home. Anyway, the boy got out in the crosswalk on and the crosswalk was kind of in a bad place and he got hit by a car, killed him. And um, Eric has a cousin, I believe it is, who happened to be in the drop off line watching all of this go down. Oh, and I mean, she's just a lady sitting here in the car and she just saw it happen. That's all. God. And so, of course, when the police report was taken, well, they took her statement about what happened. Would you believe she got sued for that little boy's death? What? As if as if she should have prevented it. And it, it, why was she sued? Well, the answer is because she had insurance and they knew that the insurance company would settle what? before before they would go all the way to court. 
uh, because it was cheaper to settle than to go to court. That's the racket that lawyers run sometimes. That's frivolous, though. That is a frivolous yeah, lawsuit. Well, yeah, but it works and it happens oh. every day. So my point is a trust could be a source of asset protection that says, you know, just sue me all you want. You may even get my insurance, but you won't get the rest of the mm-hmm. assets. If you've properly structured the trust, it can protect against those things. Now, if you don't properly structure it, the trusts are pierceable. And you can pierce the veil of the trust, go right into it and collect the assets. So this is something we have to be careful about. Mm -hmm. Now, the second reason that you could use a trust is for tax minimization. There are types of trusts that can avoid estate taxes. And with the move toward socialism in our government, and there's this idea even in Congress right now that they're going to reinstitute estate taxes for the middle class. Mm. Uh, but there are trusts that can protect your assets from that kind of danger. So that's something that we might use a trust to achieve. Um, the third thing that we might cause us to use a trust is just simply privacy. I mentioned to you early in the podcast that if you let your estate go through probate, well, that's a very public process. Um, but trusts are a private process. Nobody gets to stick their nose under the tent and sniff around in a trust. And so one of the questions we often ask clients when they're sitting down with us the first time is we'll say, well, tell me about your estate plan. Is it public or is it private? And of course, they don't know what you mean, but it's a wonderful opportunity to say, well, well, here's here's the difference and here's how these are built. Mm -hmm. You could be in a situation where uh, the family leadership is present uh, or absent, I should say, and you want to be present even after your death to speak into those sorts of things. And I think there are many families that have that problem. Here's an interesting one. Asset fragmentation. Trusts can prevent asset fragmentation. So let's say you farm a thousand acres and you have 10 kids. Do you really want when you die to bust the farm into 10, 100 acre tracks Hmm. or should the farm remain in trust and all 10 kids benefit from the trust, but we didn't break all of the acreage up. Right. Or let's say that you had an apartment complex with lots of buildings, or maybe you've just got a good successful company. A friend of mine has a company that has uh, over 280 oil wells. Now, do you think you'd be better off parceling all those oil wells off to the kids and the grandkids? Or would the family be better served if the oil wells all remained in the trust and everybody just got a piece of the distribution from the trust every year and the oil wells continued to be professionally managed inside of the trust? I vote for the trust. Maybe you got an heir with a drug problem and you want to control access so they can't squander the money. Mm. Those are the kinds of reasons that we might use a trust. Patrice, there's an old maxim, and it says, from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. What do you mean? Well, my parents expressed it this way. The first generation makes it, the second generation keeps it, and the third generation squanders it. And over and over, if you'll look at families, you'll see that happen. You'll see, a, you'll see a generation rise from poverty or not having very much to having a lot. And they probably are what we refer to as tight in mm-hmm. my part of the world, meaning they don't spend a right. lot of money. So the first generation makes it and holds on to it. The second generation continues to hold on to it. They preserve that value. But the third generation has lost track of the value that, that caused the money to be accumulated in the first place. And so the third generation often squanders it, but it doesn't have to be that way. You see, you've worked so hard all your life. You've sacrificed so much. And yet what many people accumulate is often wasted when they fail to transfer it to the next generation properly. Right. And there are some reasons that people fail to transfer. 
And I think those reasons start off with the fact that many people just say, well, we're just not rich enough for a trust. And I, that's the, what came to my mind right away. Well, so here's the question, Patrice. How rich do you have to be? Really? But you've laid it out as if you really don't have to be, quote unquote, rich. No, no. You need to have a little money, obviously. But there is no asset benchmark. Trusts can be used to provide control and direction to your family and protect your privacy. And there's no dollar amount required to purchase that control and direction and privacy. Anyone with any amount of money can have a trust. Now, there are people that it probably is overkill for. It's probably not necessary, but anyone can have a trust. And the second reason I think that people don't have trust is they say, well, you know, a trust is just too complicated. Think okay. about think about what it takes to get people to put together a will, a simple will, much less, oh, my gosh, a trust. Yeah, well, you know, it's the same meeting, basically. Um, but uh, a trust is going to require a little more maintenance. But here's what you have to think about. When you die and leave your assets to the wind, that is, you leave them unstructured or you just leave them to the kids and grandkids to go however they want to use the money. Well, that's when it can get really complicated because the stress of you losing you and the sudden appearance of money can cause the tiny fissures in your kid's marriage to become massive cracks. Hmm. If you have a child or a grandchild with a drug or alcohol problem, do you really want to leave them money, whether it's thousands or millions? So what a trust can do is protect the family, protect the unity, soften the impact of your death, and bring continued structure to your family after you're gone. And it can keep your business or farm together to benefit the next generation and the generation after that. But Barry, what about the thought, and I, I think this is one of your points here too, well, people will, don't think they're going to have access to the assets that they put into this trust, and maybe they need that money they feel to live on. Well, it just simply is a lack of understanding about trust. Simply isn't true. Now, there are types of trust that you can use, which would take uh, away those assets from you, but that's not the objective in this conversation. Mm -hmm. You can custom tailor the language of your trust so you can have all the access that you want, 100% of the access. And wealthy people, Patrice, understand, understand that it isn't owning an, a an asset, but rather controlling the asset. That is most important. And so a trust allows you to maintain control of the assets as long as you live. And it allows you to actually influence control of those assets for multiple generations to come. So the idea that you would lose access to your assets simply isn't true. That's a misunderstanding and a misrepresentation of how trust works. Okay. Now, here's one that comes up once in a while. People say, well, I think my kids will resent it if I use a trust. Um, they, they want the money outright, and they'll think that maybe I didn't trust them or something. So let's talk about that for a moment. If you do your trust planning and presentation properly, I think just the opposite is true. Instead, your kids will actually pull together on the same side of the table as a team, all for one and one for all at this annual family meeting where we're discussing how much money the trust made last year and the meeting where they're going to get their distributions. You see, we spend a lot of time with our clients helping them craft family mission statements and write these legacy letters and record their family video, things that allow mom and dad to tell the story of how they got there, what values they hold here, and they hope to see carried forward in the family name. And you can start now while you're living having these family meetings about values and money and charity, and then 
you can even invite the young people into those meetings. So they start sniffing this, learning it when they are, you know, preteen even. And then those things are far more likely to carry forward when you're gone. So in effect, it could also help prevent the kids from not trusting each other. Exactly. And that happens a lot. That happens a lot. And and so the idea is, if, if dad with a strong hand says, no, this is where the money's going to go and you kids are going to come together and you're going to do this once a year and, and you're going to have to meet and decide because this portion of the assets is going to charity and you guys are going to have to decide which charity it goes to and everybody has to offer up their preferred charity mm-hmm. and then we're going to select from among them or maybe give some to all of them. We do that all together. And then one of the things that we may do in the family is we may uh, sponsor, for lack of better words, a family member who has a business idea and they may, instead of borrowing the money from the S be area of the bank, they may borrow the money from the trust to do that. So it's a chance for the family to really work together. This is a beautiful, beautiful idea. Our, our society is so fragmented and our families, even good solid families, frankly, are so fragmented that um, it's, I think it'll be a hard thing to reclaim for some families, Yeah, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't attempt to do that. Why should we just blow the money to the wind and let the kids have it and never see one another again? And there's something I think that would be a mistake. There's something exciting about controlling them from beyond the grave, too. <laughs> Aren't you evil? Um, <laughs> yeah, we try not to not to heighten the uh, awareness of that concept necessarily. But, you know, I think it's important to, for them to be influenced from beyond the grave. Let's say that I think influence from beyond the grave is really, really important. So one of the things that people are concerned about sometimes is that if they leave money in trust to their descendants, that that will disincentivize their descendants to work. And I would submit to you that I don't think that's true, certainly not to the degree that leaving the money outright to the kids in one fell swoop might disincentivize them. In fact, I think it could cause them to come together and to work together. Your structure, your trust rather can be structured so that they don't get their fair share of trust distributions unless they're working or they have whatever accomplishments that you want to put in place. You could say, you know, you don't get a share of the trust unless you graduate from college or you don't get Mm -hmm. your share unless you're still married to spouse number one, or you don't get your share unless you have children, Uh, or I like to say vote Republican or Democrat or whatever flavor you prefer. The point is, you can actually use the trust to incentivize behaviors, including work, that you want to see produced. And a way that we help to influence that, I've already mentioned legacy letters and videos and family meetings. But how about actually giving the kids a seat at the table while they are younger so they learn about how the family finances are run? And when they're young, invite them to family meetings as observers. And what better place to teach them Um, in a confidential setting about family business, and then to train them up on. Now, you don't go talking this out on the streets among your friends. This is confidential family business. I I think that's a great approach. I love it. Yes. Here's something you could teach your kids in these meetings. You could teach them about the velocity of money. You do know how money works, Patrice. When you buy a $300,000 house and finance it on the bank, down at the bank, you wind up paying the bank about $900,000 for the $300,000 house. Well, how about this? Why allow the bank to make that additional $600,000? Why not allow the family trust to function as a family bank, not a piggy bank, 
where you bust open, raid it for all the money and never put it back. But literally as a family bank, you put loan provisions in the trust so the trust can loan to family members. And these same family members have been sitting in the meetings for decades or more. And then the, when the loan goes in place, it has the exact same documents you'd have down at the bank, holds the kids accountable to repaying the loan to the trust. And if they don't, then the trust forecloses on their, right. their house. Um, so I think it would be fabulous if the family could depend on the family bank to do these kinds of things for the family going forward. And what if a family member needs money to start a business? Well, same idea. So, so Johnny brings his idea to the table and says, hey, guys, I've been thinking about starting a business. Really, Johnny, tell us about it. That's exciting. Well, Johnny decides he's going to make buggy whips. Okay. Hey, Johnny, <laughs> how, many, how many buggies do you see on the roads these days? Not very many. Hey, Johnny, how many, how many whips does one buggy require? Well, only one. But there aren't very many buggies anymore, Johnny. So I don't think a buggy whip business would be a very good idea. Do you? No, maybe it's not such a good idea, but maybe Johnny has some other kind of idea about some, some technology approach or, or, or some service company just taking care of people for any variety of things. And Johnny needs a little capital to get it going. I've got a client right now who's got a nephew who um, he's you know ready to start his life. He's out of school mm-hmm. uh, and he's apparently a very trained welder. Ooh. And he um, he but he needs some money to buy a truck and buy a welder and, you know, get himself mm-hmm. on the road right. in the welding business. Well, what a great thing to say. I tell you what, the trust will give you a, a loan for fifty thousand dollars to buy a truck and a welder. And I know you've never bought a truck before, but Uncle Joe over here has. So Uncle Joe will go with you and help you select the truck that might be the right one. And he'll help you negotiate to purchase the truck. Boy, we're keeping the family together. Yes. And 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 then we we buy the welder. Now now he's got a note that says uh, this truck is um, mortgaged by the trust, and the welder is mortgaged to the trust, and he's got to make his payments, and they're going to be this many dollars every month. And if he doesn't make his payments, we're going to take the truck and the welder away and sell them on the courthouse square. And you know he's been sitting in the meetings all these years. He's going to he's going to make his payment. He's going to see the comp- the trust benefit from his payments because mm-hmm. he's going to pay some interest too but he's also making the family proud yeah 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 we got to help him do that and then what are we going to do we're going to go out and tell everybody that john when you need welding done call johnny yeah because johnny's the welder man and you know the same thing applies patrice to the family farm or business or real estate they might have in trust you could pay one of the family members to be responsible for running and managing that asset and reporting back to the family profitably. So there's some incentive to keep your place at the Thanksgiving table. You don't want to be the guy who lost the the, the money for the trust. And and there's an opportunity for these older, more mature family members to watch over young members and coach them lovingly about it. So trusts can be used to bond your family more tightly together than you might ever imagine. And Patrice, here's an idea that I think is really cool. You could have these family meetings at a resort location if you wanted to. Oh, so every every year it just happens that the family meeting is going to be had in Florida or in the Caribbean or in the summertime in the Rockies or on the main coast or in Hawaii or whatever. And everyone uh, wants to attend because it's in the resort location. The trust could even pay part or all of the travel and lodging for the family members to get there. And you know what? The cousins will all get to meet each other, to learn each other, to to 
you know, become to bond. That's it. That's what I'm looking for. The cousins can bond. Let me talk to you about one other thing that gets in the way sometimes, and then uh, we'll kind of wrap this uh, particular edition up. Sometimes people fear that, well, my kids will resent the trustee. All right, here's a solution for that. How about making your kids co-trustees alongside a corporate trustee? So they're involved intimately in helping to maintain the family's business, but the corporate trustee then is responsible for filing the annual tax return and administering the estate and all the paperwork side of it. But the kids are involved in the decision-making process about how the money is managed and distributed to subsequent generations. You see, you can't resent the trustee when you are one of the trustees. (laughs) I like that. So, Patrice, here's the deal. Now, pay attention, all right? You only get one chance to do this right. You've spent 30 or 40 or 50 years putting all this together. Don't let the next generation fritter it away. Instead, hold their hand. Bring them aboard. Have them help to manage the family legacy now while you can teach them. And then slowly hand it over to them and build structures for how it is to be handled when you are gone. This, this, this is how you build an enduring family legacy and keep families together. Mm -hmm. Is it hard? Well, sure it is. But that's why you have us. We'll help you to go through some of the hard parts to build the legacy you want. Is it expensive? Yes. You're certainly going to have some costs, but how much will it cost to send a grandchild through drug rehab? How much will your daughter or son lose in the divorce? You see, pay it now or pay it later. So this is really about family leadership. You are the leader. You've been successful. You've accumulated and built an impressive nest egg. So now exercise your responsibility to subsequent generations by teaching them the values, attitudes, and actions that made you successful and can make them successful too. You see, this isn't about a trust, a document, a vehicle to just transfer assets. This is about transferring assets that are far more important than money, the intellectual assets, the values assets. So I want to challenge you to be a leader, a leader in your family and set your family up to experience the blessings of this kind of leadership for multiple generations. If you have a relationship with a skilled estate planning attorney, call them and get this process started. And if you don't, and you don't know where to start, reach out to us and we can help you make the right connections. Just go to our website, www.savingyoutaxes.com. And from there, you can fill out a contact form and send us a message, or you can find our phone number and call us. And I'll personally be glad to help you get started on the right path. If today's podcast has been helpful to you, please click the button in your podcast app and share it with people you care about, uh, those who you think might find this episode helpful. And while you're at it, be sure that you are subscribed so that each time a new episode is released, it will automatically download in your podcast app. For savingyoutaxes.com, I'm Barry Watts, the host of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. Reminding you that if you accumulate millions of dollars and then leave it to your family without helping them learn to manage it so that it benefits them and their children and their grandchildren, then you've really done wrong by your family. We want to help you avoid that. So give us a call and we'll help. I'll see you soon on the next edition of The Truth About Taxes and Retirement. The Truth About Taxes and Retirement is brought to you by SavingYouTaxes.com through which Barry Watts, who is not a lawyer, 
helps clients design retirements, reduce income taxes, and create multi-generational family wealth legacies. Thank you for listening to The Truth About Taxes and Retirement Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of SavingYouTaxes.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional tax and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your own qualified advisor with any questions you may have regarding taxes and investing.